everybody. Welcome back. Is this thing on? Welcome back to another episode of the Check the Stats podcast. I'm your host, Mike Leon. You know the drill by now. This series lives on theanalyst.com, is available wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, like a street performer in New York, you know how to have the tip jar there? Do me a favor. My tip jar is reviews. So leave us a five-star review and comment, please. As always in each episode, We'll examine how sports stats are used by coaches, players, scouts, trainers, and broadcasters alike as part of their everyday profession. Now, today's episode is going to be a special one because we're going to look at analytics in a different light with two very special guests joining me today. But first, let me give you some statistics around the National Football League in terms of hiring data. 69% of the players in the National Football League are people of color. In addition, 35% of the assistant coaches in the league are people of color. And when you look at those numbers with over two thirds of the workforce and a third of the coaching staffs being represented, you would probably say the NFL is doing a pretty good job in this area. However, the problem is really when you move up the ladder and you get into the decision-making roles with only three head coaches in the National Football League being Black, Brian Flores of the Dolphins, Mike Tomlin, obviously the long-tenured coach of the Steelers, and David Culley, who recently got the job with the Texans, while Ron Rivera of the Washington football team is Hispanic and Jets head coach Robert Salah is Muslim, and even fewer people of color or women are in key roles in the front office. Now, the NFL has worked hard to try to get more diverse candidates in not only head coaching positions, but front office positions, launching the famous Rooney Rule in 2003 that helps to get at least one minority candidate interviewed for an open position. However, our guests today think there's a little bit more meat left on that proverbial bone in terms of what can be done to promote fairness across the board and level the playing field among sports professionals competing for coaching and front office positions. So our guest today, Dr. Stephen Curtin, a sociology professor at UNC Greensboro, who wrote a fantastic paper that examines the NFL's diversity, equity, and inclusion habits in hiring head coaches, and someone who still haunts my Raider dreams to this day because of the 95 season in week three when he had an interception in overtime that the Raiders ended up losing to, is former Pro Bowl cornerback of 14 seasons for the Jets and Chiefs, James Hasty. Together, these men are going to break down what the core issues are with the numbers that I mentioned in the hiring disparities around the National Football League and all the ways they are working to help eliminate biases and racial disparity when it comes to hiring practices in sports. All right, James Hasty and Dr. Stephen Curtin, thank you so much for both of you hopping on the podcast today. I truly appreciate it. Thanks for having us. So, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, um, I want to get into it because I mentioned before both of you guys hopped on some of these statistics, specifically from your report, Dr. Kirtan. But um, there's obviously huge hiring disparities with the numbers when it gets to head coaches. And as you go a little bit higher in the totem pole, front office positions, and even to a lesser extent, What's happening in college football, too, that's sometimes overlooked. What was it specifically that made both of you want to get involved with something like this? James, I turn to you first. For, for me, it was a collective group of incidents that took place. It was uh, the presidential election process. It was the, uh, the killing of George Floyd. Uh, it was also the commissioner, Roger Goodell, and his statements at the Super Bowl in support of diversity and inclusion. It was also the commissioner's acknowledgement of the contributions of the black football player in the National Football League. 
along with his acknowledgement of the league being wrong as it relates to Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. I believe those collective uh, issues really inspired me and encouraged me to to expand uh, my thoughts as it relates to analytics and how we get help in this regard. Dr. Kirtan, how about you? Well, for me, um, being a sociologist, trained as a sociologist, I'm a quantitative and qualitative person. Uh, so my initial interest uh, came when uh, James approached me about doing a report on the diversity, equity, and inclusion with respect to the NFL and its hiring processes. Um, when you're a sociologist, you turn to a unit of analysis and an examination of a problem. So the first thing I turned to was the Rooney Rule. So the NFL is 102 seasons in. And it took it 69 years of its 102 seasons to hire its first official uh, Black uh, head coach. Since the Rooney Rule, or prior to the Rooney Rule, the maximum number of coaches was three, minority coaches. The the lower end was one. Post-Rooney Rule 2003, the maximum number had been eight, the lowest at three. So the Rooney Rule did increase in terms of its minority coaches by at least two more head coaches for its minimum, going to three, all right? And it expanded to eight. A conversation between uh, John Wooten and Bill Walsh netted the idea that uh, equity in terms of the hiring processes, minority head coaches should be 12. That should be the number. So the idea is, well, what would it take to get to that 12? Or what would it take to increase or approach that number? The NFL did it uh, up to eight for at least two seasons, but it hasn't been consecutive. Now, you and I both know that the hiring process, the hiring cycle takes place every year. And so every year it has the potential to drop down to zero or even one. I mean, there's maybe one coach that's pretty secure, and we know that that's out in Pittsburgh, and it's Mike Tomlin, um, how Pittsburgh Steelers, because they, what, three head coaches over their entire uh, franchise history, so we know they stick with their head coaches. And so the idea was to say, okay, what is it, what is the criteria that decision makers, GMs, presidents and owners are using in their selection process because what the data was suggesting in the minority outsider report uh, that came out dropped October 5th and, and James will tell you where to go to actually look for it the data was saying over and over again from coaches from journalists uh, from lawyers who were there with the Rooney rule that the hiring process is unique so the qualitative assessment piece allowed us to look at those what we call quality statements, abstract terms, let's say the word like leadership, what does it really mean per individual, per hire decision maker? What does that mean? And that qualitative piece allowed us to assess that and develop an assessment too from the qualitative standpoint and expansion of the quantitative standpoint. Now, what's unique about this, these tools, it's important to note, Mike, is that you're taking all my experiences as a former player, right, through high school, college, and pro, and in addition, as as it relates to my coaching experience as well, right? And so I have this huge amount of experience and knowledge with the game, both sides, right? Then you add Dr. Kirton to the, to the mix, who, who he and I go back, as he mentioned, 30 years uh, in the studies of sociology. There's no, there, you're not going to find a study. You're not going to find a search firm of this caliber with this combination of people that can bring a unique perspective to the hiring process, you know, so anyone that might say, oh, yeah, we got something like, no, it's virtually impossible. It's virtually impossible. 
Yeah. And so, so for clarity, well, go ahead, Dr. Kirtan. Oh, no, go ahead and get your clarification. Statement. No, I was going to say, you know, for the people that are listening right now, um, obviously you, you had mentioned John Wooten, who was a former director of player personnel for the Cowboys. Um, and one of the things that I took out of your report, I was I was able to read it uh, a couple of days ago. And that conversation that he had with Tex Schramm, the general manager at the time of the Cowboys, you know, th- there's a quote in there about, do you know you got the best guy? And I think a lot of the times people will instinctively say, and I think you put this in the report, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like, so you want the entire league to be black? I believe you Tram said that. He's like, no, we want you to have the best guy. But if you're not looking at the other guys, right, how can you know you got the best guy? So I would love for you to really dive into that, because how does that how does this see pass tool? I know you, we're going to get to that in a second, James, but can you explain, Dr. Curtin, how it, this is really about getting the best guy foot in the door so people know who is actually out there with respect to who they can hire? OK, so uh, I would love to do that. So first of all, I want to say that I'm going to separate right now quantitative and qualitative to answer your question. But the, the power of CPAS is the mixed method approach, marriaging uh, putting them to in a marriage. I'm glad you brought that up in terms of the qualitative piece because it was driven by that conversation. Tech Schramm said that I know who I want to hire when I'm looking for a person. And then John Wooten retorting, they were friends, was saying, hey, I'm not questioning whether you know what you want. I'm questioning or asking you uh, what is the best guy. Now, they had some contentious moments because maybe Tech Schramm had uh, some sort of concern that John may have been, Mr. Wooden may have been trying to come up with an all-Black franchise. And that's a competitive question. And John, of course, wasn't interested in that. He was just trying to improve the league. That was the purpose of the study, to find out what is the best way to improve the league. So just for purposes of the audience, and I don't mean to insult the intelligence, but when you talk about qualitative research, it is an organized method of describing people's experiences and internal feelings. We take that one sentence and apply it to conversation with decision makers. And they in turn tell us what it is they see or like and what they would envision as a head coach. That delivery could impact whether it's a minority or just the best candidate. So I don't want people to think, oh, we're looking for minority coaches. We're looking for the best candidate. However, I think when you speak about who is in the best position or a better position to lead teams, you have more minority coaches out there than have been previously hired in the NFL's 102 history. And our job is to put merit on the table, as the NFL says it does, allow owners their voice because you're not going to tell them what to do. But I think when you start talking about their internal feelings, they want to be heard more than said to them that they're internally racist, if you will. They like, want to have a best hire with less turnover. And we are in a position to say, this is a credible hire with respect to Bottom line analysis that the person carries market value, the person can be the voice of your franchise, and a person can help you win so that it decreases that turnover and builds stability and culture with your franchise. James, I want to get into, because I was reading a press release about NNJ and all the work that you're trying to do with your company. Why don't you share with our audience a little bit about why you started this firm and, and, and your goal and intention with it? Well, you know, initially this was um, merely a play to say, hey, let's take this data analytics and see how it might help in the gaming community, right? 
because we study uh, players and we do all these wonderful things when it comes to analyzing what the players are doing. And I was saying, well, let's take it from a perspective of looking at the coaches and use this information in that re- regard. And it was shortly thereafter a doc, talking to Dr. Kirtan and I started really thinking and honing in on this. And I said, this is not a gaming scenario. This is a social justice deal. We need to create a search firm that allows us to go out and find these candidates that are going to meet certain standards that our algorithm that we've created, a provisional patented algorithm that we've created, has the ability to discern quantitatively um, who's the best candidate. Now, we can take it from the best candidate, we can compare candidates, we can dive into the candidate in particular, but we, it's, it's a provisionally patented tool. And a part of that CPAS tool was the qualitative tool what Dr. Kirtan now had created, right? And so we were saying, as he mentioned, now we can take this and we can apply a score from a quantitative side and give it a letter grade. And we can take a qualitative score and we can give that a letter grade. And if the owner who has given us their feedback, as Dr. Kirtan has alluded to, uh, now say, can say, hey, well, I only want to know what the quantitative data uh, uh, allows, or I only want to look at it from the qualitative. Ah, uh, yeah, I know about the quantitative. Or he can say, no, I want about, or he or she can say, no, I want to know about all of it. And we can give them that perspective. And so the, 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 the key was to build a database of all of the NFL co- current coaches. And the goal also was to build add college coaches to that database. So now, right now, we have over 1,600 coaches in this database. And it also goes back historically. You can find coaches in there like Curly Lambeau and, and George Hallis. I mean, it's, it's, it goes back and it tracks all of these coaches and their progress. So let's say you want a coach that's – you want someone similar to Vince Lombardi that has a similar background to Vince Lombardi. Or you want someone that has a similar background to Chuck Noll. Like, we have these folks in this database for that purpose now. As as, Doc, as John John Wooten so eloquently stated, we want to expand the field. We want the field to grow of candidates. And so the way we've approached this is by saying, hey, look, we've got this database. Let's add more people to the database as we go. And now we can truly hone in on who those who the best people are out there. And, and, and I just want to say that the quantitative assessment piece and the qualitative assessment piece will makes it what make, makes it powerful is the ability to merge and have a, a sort of a ranking or assessment score. And then if, if you want to drill down and say, oh, okay, well, I want to know what's, what's over here in this corner, what's over in this spot, we have a way to uh, separate that and give you individual scores specific. Now, with respect to the qualitative piece, I just want to let in the audience know these are the kinds of people that participated in forming this qualitative piece. You have journalists like Clarence Hill. You have journalists like Jim Jim Trotty. You have journalists like Jared Bell. When you talk about uh, lawyers, you have journal, you have lawyers like uh, Size Mary, who was there, who was one of the originators with uh, the famous Johnny Cochran with the Rooney Rule. We have uh, Jeremy Duru, who wrote Advancing the Ball. He participated. When you talk about the coaches, we heard directly. Uh, via email from Bruce Arians and Andy Reid and, and Herm Edwards and a phone call from Brian Flores. And then we talk about contributors from third-party sources. You got a Mike Tomlin, a Ron Rivera, you have a Leslie Frazier that's certainly uh, involved in this situation. So we've heard over and over again, we talk about athletic directors. We've heard from HBCU athletic director and Entian uh, Thomas. So we have all of this 
various forms of individuals on different levels that have said, this is what we are looking for. And there are things that they had added humanistic value and tenure that, again, we, we understand that it's more than numbers. You say, okay, well, what more is it than numbers? What did Textram mean? He said, we, he, he knows what he wants. So we attempted to quantify wants. Some people, some places, other sociologists say that's operationalization. You, you have to ground that term into something measurable. And we were able to do that through a myriad of what you would call indicators. So again, uh, this is how we were able to, to marry. So some may sit down and say, what did they score? All right. In what areas did they score in? Well, what's their grade? And we have the ability right. to do that. When you strip everything away, we can give you a grade. We can give you a score in any of the categories that you say are important to you. And so that's what makes this individualized assessment piece that's in place. It has the skeleton, it has the foundation, but it's also fluid. So we can meet with people and say, what is that you want? And through that conversation, have the tools to build that and come back with what you said you wanted, which is what TechSram said, it drives the narrative about the hiring process. Yeah. I mean, listen, as a, as a big numbers guy myself, and I've worked as a statistician now working here at this company and all the cool things we do in the data AI space, it's great to hear that this is being harnessed for this type of good and change. I wanted to get into a couple of the things from the report, because uh, for me, the Rooney rule in page 13 of your report, you kind of go into an examination of it. And it's always been, you know, a hot topic for me and some of my other friends. I want to ask both of you, has the Rooney rule been good for the game? And the reason I ask it in this context is because if you look at it from a pure numbers perspective, similar to what you mentioned, three head coaches, right? Brian Flores, Mike Tomlin, David Culley are the only African-American coaches. Obviously, Robert Salah got hired by the Jets this year, and he's, he's a Muslim faith. And then you had um, obviously Ron Rivera, who's Hispanic for, for Washington. But we continue to see whenever you see head coaching searches or you ever see um, GM team president positions, it's always a retread candidate or, or some other candidate that everyone goes, Hey, that guy's been here and not successful or has not reached this pinnacle. Why would he come here? So has the Rooney rule been effective? Is it like the first step in both of your eyes? Give me a, a breakdown from both of your perspectives as to the Rooney rule. Well, I'll start with the from the qualitative piece and just looking at the numbers alone. You know, like I said before, prior to the Rooney Rule, the minimum number of minority coaches prior to that, and that's you know from from 1920s all the way up to his first official hire in 1969, uh, you have one minority head coach. Prior to that Rooney Rule, the most they got up to in 2002 was three minority coaches. Now, post-running rule application, you go from the minimum number of three coaches to the maximum number of eight. Now, if you look at that, say range, some will say, okay, it's effective, but you're still looking at less than 50%, 38% at what was being hired with respect to 32 teams. So there's still not equity in terms of how many coaches should be or who are qualified to be in that position. I know John Wooden hates the word uh, qualified. So again, even if I just look at that number 12, Bill Walsh's number, we haven't reached that. The closest we've come is eight. So has it been effective? I would say it, it put a level of accountability out there 
But any kind of cyclical blowback, every hiring process is when it gets to a point where we use the Rooney rule to say we are making these coaches, excuse me, these owners do something. And then it becomes more like the civil rights mandate. Now this kind of pushback and becomes political. And now you have issues because now you have these billion, billion dollar entities that are saying you're not going to tell me what to do. So what this process does is it expands beyond the Rooney rule by saying, you know what? We understand who you are as billionaires. We understand that you have internal feelings about your franchise. We understand that the legacy of your franchise is what matters, whether it's a family-oriented or if it's a business culture. We understand those things, but let us hear from you. And that's how we'll build our assessment, too. So that frees them up to, okay, now you're hearing my voice and you're not coming in with an assumption that you can make me do something or you are implying that I'm somehow uh, carrying just this, these racial overtones. I'm giving you my voice about what I want. And what this assessment tool does, or this qualitative piece does, it says it in no way, and you read the report, it in no way says that minorities are scared when you talk about Mary. It is saying this is what they want. And whatever numbers come out of that, people can be satisfied with. You're going to get, anytime you put anything out for public consumption, so you know, people are going to go one way or the other. But when you put merit on the table and you are transparent about it and people feel good about it, they're going to say, okay, this is something that I can afford. And this is something that we need to get better at. And owners will be telling you that. And this is what that does. It's just a reflection. It's transparency in that regard. So in short, the Rooney Rule has been effective to a certain degree. Has it maximized its, its potential? to the degree that people feel like it is something that they want to do. There are three sets of teams, and you heard it, you read it in the report. Those who will never hire a minority head coach, those who are who can be convinced to hire a minority, a minority coach, and those who have actually done so. And so this is what we're trying. It doesn't matter what set you pull into, we don't care. All we're saying is, is this is a consideration piece in your hiring process, and we're making that one step further which is trying to take it out of, quote unquote, the political realm that was surrounding the Rooney Rule. So it, in my opinion, when I'm thinking about this assessment piece from a qualitative standpoint, it is building on the Rooney Rule with the assumption that we're not saying that you have to do these things. And I would say I would say that it's been effective. Uh, you know, but can it be improved upon? Absolutely. I, I think that as uh, Johnny Cochran mentioned at the time, if they don't want to negotiate, then we need to litigate. And we don't have that threat of litigation in play anymore in this case, right? So now what we have to do is we have to acknowledge where we are and appreciate where we've been, right? And say, okay, going forward, how can we do this? Because we know that there's ways around the Rooney Rule. Let's just be flat out honest. We, we've seen it. Everybody's questioned it. There's been several instances now where people go, wait a minute, how did they hire this guy? and interview the assistant tight end coach for some local college, you know, and I'm exaggerating for, to, to some extent, but you guys understand where I'm coming from is the Rooney rule has got us to where we are and thank God for the Rooney rule. Now we're deciding to say, okay, there's a, has to be another way to do this. And that, that approach has to be a collaborative approach. It is saying you guys, your organizations are growing tremendously over the year in and year out, you know, billionaire, billion dollar entities are skyrocketing. So we know that these entities are going to continue to be successful, right? In terms of value. But now how can we collaborate with them? Our goal and our hope is to get a chance to, to talk with these owners 
uh, and the diversity committee is, is chaired by Chairman Rooney. Our goal is to say, hey, give us an opportunity to come in, sit down, and give you guys our spiel as to what we believe we can do in this regard and merely act as an, uh, an assistance or a, uh, an additional uh, tool in the toolbox, a spoke of the wheel, any way, shape or form, however you want to word it, we are just here to assist and give our feedback. And that's really what we're trying to do is get before that diversity committee. And, and, and let me just say, Mike, that when in terms of grounding something, taking abstract terms and putting it to numbers, that's what both the quantitative and qualitative piece does. Now, what I would say about the Rooney Rule is it, it was effective for its time and it can still be used effectively depending on which teams you are dealing with. But this particular CPAS, the combination of quantitative and qualitative piece is for a postmodern society and a post-racial society. We claim to be postmodern and advanced in our thoughts and we claim to be post-racial. How do we prove that? Merit. This is what those things do. Listen, you fed perfectly to this question because people who are listening to this. They can't see that I'm wearing my Raiders polo today just to get James's James's blood <laughs> boiling. But for that one season that he still owes us for. Anyway, um, I'm not going to get into that, James. But um, Coach Gruden. Yeah. Okay, before you hopped on the podcast, Dr. Kirtan, um, and on a different show of mine's, uh, I discussed Coach Gruden's emails and, and what was brought to light. And now I'm, I don't want to get into so much the language and the undertones of it in one regard. I'm going to get into it in a second regard. And I don't want to get into a private citizen not working at X company and it's a scandal for a different company he's not even a part of. That's totally different. What I do want to get into is from the sociology perspective. How do we break that mindset? What, what those emails spoke to was a man in his late 40s, early 50s, not being able to evolve, seeing female referees come into the game, seeing openly gay players like Michael Sam and Carl Nassib come into the game, seeing, you know, obviously, DeMaurice Smith, the head of the, the, the players union. So those emails kind of spoke to the mentality of people that are already in decision making positions. So it's a two part question because he got his job based off Mark Davis's relationship with him, kind of circumventing the Rooney rule, which we talked about. But then the second part of it is those emails, that language and mentality. How does CPAS, NJ, what you guys are doing, break that cycle and that mentality to say, look, it's not a good old boys network. We need to open it up because you guys are missing these qualified candidates that are right here in front of you. And it's showing them the data. We've seen it in the political sphere. You show people data, they, don't, they call it fake. So how do you get people to actually trust these numbers and data sets, like I mentioned? And, and if you could, into the John Gruden situation and that mentality. Well, first, I think when you, when you start talking about India, you're talking about an African-American search firm. Never in history. So NFL's establishing a relationship with that. You've got to go, oh, okay. Now, what, what, what would uh, like circumstance individuals who come from similar cultural backgrounds bring to the table? A different set of eyes, uh, a different set of looking at things. So they, the NFL has gone with search firms before, but if it's not a diverse language, a diverse group of people that can offer diverse opinions, you're going to get the same output. This is what you've been seeing on a routine basis every hiring cycle. So one of the things is having an African-American search firm, and it's not only a search firm, but it's a preparation firm as well. 
for for Canada. It is a learning assessment piece along the way as well. So if we we don't just say here's a name for you, we followed those individuals through that entire process. Uh, it is what John Wooden called the culture of care that he thinks that has been dis- dissipating along the way. We continue to check in, good or bad, uh, with respect to that. Now, if as we pivot into um, a John Gruden scenario, now, all of us have sent emails before, sir, we know, and, and we know who our intended audience is and what will fly and what won't, won't fly. All of us couldn't be in situations where our silence can be seen as complicit. All of us know who we're comfortable with, with respect to how we spend our time. Well thought out stuff is when you start typing stuff. So one of the things that we recognize, the sociological assessment piece, is that race is a social construct. Uh, it is developed and overturned over and over and over again. And with that being a social construct, you have normative expectations. What can you expect from a person like John Gruden? What can you expect from John Gruden sending that email uh, to a, a, a team owner that that's the Redskins who's enthralled in all these controversies, who may be open to that, or someone who's head of a corporation that somehow, some way, you can say it one way or the other, use a level of objectifying women uh, in their bodies, not saying these women aren't intelligent, in their bodies to attract a certain group of people. So all of that being said, one of the things that this tool recognizes is it's an opportunity for people to say, I am not that way. If they also be, hey. then we know what we're dealing with. Yeah. But if they're not, and I believe that people evolve over time. We have the opportunity to do that. Now, will it change people's mind? Like I said, there are groups of people that would never. There are those that can be convinced. And then there are those that have already tried. But I think the more diverse a room is, sir, the more you start seeing other faces during the hiring process, uh, the more there are eyes on different uh, looks of people, the more you start saying or getting rid of the imagined enemy, the boogeyman, all those sorts of things that's under the cover of the antithesis of white. There's something that they may be missing some level of integrity. They may be missing some level of depravity. They may be missing some level of intellectual thought. Uh, All these things that sort of come out of this person didn't interview well. uh, They didn't uh, uh, sort of of respond well. They had a certain look to them. All these things that, that come because you just don't, you are not in the presence of difference. And so what's happening is, is we're presenting that presence of difference, not in an enemy way, but in a way that says, okay, we're in here, we're comfortable, we're family oriented, our integrity is intact. It just comes under a different skin tone. And it's nothing to be fearful about that. In fact, there are traits that makes us all uh, similar in our fashion. Now, John Gruden or anybody else, because he's, he's just one example. This is corporate America that's everywhere where people just have so many ways in which they're set in their thoughts and their ideas about race, about sex, about political views, about all types of things that are different from them. And what I'm seeing from a sociological standpoint, even if you look at the Black Lives Matter march, it wasn't that it was just specifically Black. It was just that you had so many groups of people, so many ages involved in a march for justice. We didn't get it, but at the same time, you had that interest in it. And I think that folks, they love the NFL. And at some point, which is now, folks are going to be getting to say, hey, these things aren't appropriate. And as more and more of this stuff comes to light, the younger generation is just not going to put up with it. 
Like we, we just don't, we're not going to buy into the older generation's bull about what race. All folks want to know now, and I teach students on a daily basis, uh, are my friends who don't look like me, but are my friends, are they comfortable in getting a fair shot? And so a lot of them are equally as upset when they hear these types of things and they don't want to be cast in the same light as someone who's traditionally intolerant based on people. So uh, again, I'm for giving people an opportunity to show you one way or the other before I start sweeping people with, you know, everybody's this way. Now, if it turns out there are, and, it, and trust me, sir, I, you read it in the report, there are some that I said it is just hopeless. It is always going to be this way. But I'm a kind of person, a sociologist, I do not want to sit down and tell my grandchildren that I didn't find this out for myself. I want to know for myself. I'm not going to lean on somebody else to, get, to buy their answer. I want to know for myself. That's the sociological interest in this uh, that, that drives me as a sociologist, finding out the root of the problem and allowing the opportunity to change so that we can say we tried it and it didn't work. We tried it and it didn't work. And Mike, it's important to note that if the league thinks that there's another way of doing this, we're more than willing to participate in that in that fashion as well. Uh, but I think it's important to note that we, we had a conversation with the, with the league um, a couple of days ago, and uh, I won't mention the name of the individual, but one of the, some of the stuff that they shared with us was some feedback from the interview process, some of the executives and coaches experience. And I want to read some of the feedback that they, they were able to hear about their interview process. And it was told in an anonymous way, so they didn't know where the comments were coming from. They just received the feedback. So the coaches said things like this. The goalpost keeps moving. No job description. Didn't feel like interview was fair. I felt they just wanted to see my book and use it for someone else. I shared my abilities as a coach, but all they wanted to hear were stories. Okay, that's the coaches. The, the executives and the, or the owners said things like, he wasn't prepared. Didn't understand the salary cap didn't know my roster, doesn't know our culture, inappropriate language. All he did was tell stories. All he did was go through the playbook. Mike, I said the playbook. Doesn't interview well. What, what, that's such a large term. I don't even know how to where to put that. My point is that this is the dynamics of the process as we speak right now. No, it's him, no, it's him, right? And so what we're saying is, everyone's at a point of being defensive. Let's see if we can take out a different, take out a different approach to this and try to now collaborate. Okay, NFL owners, let's work together on you helping us understand what it, it is when you say, doesn't know our culture. Or when you say, uh, he did. He used inappropriate language. Or when you say he didn't interview, let us know, doesn't know my roster. Explain that so that we can then go and we can find these candidates that best fit what you're looking for, right? And then we can work with that candidate and helping them understand the salary cap. Because I don't know about you, Mike, but I played a long time. I never focused on the salary cap. And I know as a coach, some coaches don't even want to be bothered with that scenario of understanding the salary cap. Now, should you know some of it? Probably, but you should be well notified of needing to know about it in advance of being asked about it, right? It's, that's the fair thing to do. 
But but when folks are saying these very generic terms, and then what happens is collectively, the entire group of, 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 of folks that did not get opportunities are brought into a room and they read these uh, this feedback aloud. Now, just think about that room and just think about if you're one of those people in that room, how you might feel, right? When they're when they're reading these statements out loud, you know, first of all, they don't know if they're talking about you or me, but you're still hearing it and you're going, wait a minute, no job description. How could how you interview for something and you didn't even know the job description? So what we're saying is we don't have the secret recipe, the secret sauce. We're just saying, hey, let's try something that might be a little different and see what kind of outcome we can come up with. Because we've got something that's totally uh, based on merit in the quantitative piece. Let's go look at this guy, top to bottom, where he's been on the, on the field and, and how all and bring all these other variables into play. And then let's talk to the to, to the decision makers, the executives, the owners and find out what it is they want. Let's stop guessing. I had a conversation with an athletic director the other day. He said, okay, James, give me your short list of candidates. Well, no, tell me what you're looking for. Well, I think we need to be able to run the football in the wintertime. So we need a good offensive line. See, now, now I start to get the feedback. For I can, Now I can hear what it is that's important to you. Now, if the head coach that we identify wants to bring in an offensive line guy who's his buddy, and after we look at him from a quantitative standpoint, his buddy is terrible. Well, I don't, I don't know if that's a good fit. Now, the head coach may very well be within his right to hire that guy, but at least we all know from a hiring standpoint, the administrators know, the AD knows, eh, we don't have the greatest offensive line coach, but this is the head coach's guy. So now we can dispel all the cronyism and all the nepotism, and we can just look at the data and have those decision makers tell us, is it okay? Is it something you're okay with? Do you want this guy to have a, a, a qualified candidate as far as offensive line coach? Or do you, or are you okay with him hiring his buddy? It really is up to them to tell us what it is they're looking for. And then, Mike, real quickly, in terms of what a qualitative piece was sitting in, so we've been throwing around the word culture, 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 and everybody think they understand what we're saying. But there's like 25 to 30 different variables that indicate culture. We found out the ones that are most important. So if it's college level, so to speak, coaches got to have a sense of their team. Do you have a bunch of kids? Where do they come from? Are they family men? Are they coming from intact homes? Can I have my cultural awareness about them? What's the ped cultural pedagogy that goes along with that? How do I teach to reach them? Uh, what happens if they get upset? And what? How do I approach these kids with this regard? What kind of personal problems they may be having? What sort of social justice issues are they having with respect to? Is it impacting them when they see someone like George Floyd murdered in front of them? How would that affect their play? Or do we expect them to be uh, these robots? Then when I graduate to a room full of men, these are professional men with families with issues, and these professional men certainly come from communities that might not be all that secure or households that might not be all that secure. Secure. So now he's the ticket for everybody. And so when he's being saying, I have a family issue and I have to miss practice, the coach can provide some cover. No, he's not being insubordinate. No, he's not playing games. He is taking care of some real issues with respect to that. And I'm not going to penalize that because the public uh, wants him to do that. And then understanding a coach in need would understand what's the market. All right. Michigan is different from South Carolina. Hell, South Carolina is different from North Carolina. Um, Southern is different from the West. All right. Family legacy uh, in the North is different from family legacy, say, in Texas and the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, all of those things are important. 
And I think when coaches come into the mindset, because guess who's delivering this? That's important. Team owners. That increases the pool of quote unquote eligibles. And when folks start looking at, they understand the humanity of who I am as a decision maker. I feel like I have a voice. Therefore, a better person is going to be put in a position to lead a team. Very well said. Um, first off, if, if you're an NFL GM listening to this, you need help with the cap. Let me know. I can tell you before March 1st who to cut, what's dead money. Uh, I got all that under my belt. So you don't need no help with there. Um, before I let both of you guys go, I, I'd be remiss if I don't ask James. And I really want to say to both of you, I think you guys are finding that sweet spot of bridging that gap that that the like the Rooney rule, like you mentioned, is good to get, you know, a candidate in the door. But what people are missing is that besides of looking at the resume, right, close your eyes and judge people based upon the data set that you guys are doing. As somebody who works in the business of making data driven decisions, I truly appreciate that. But I'd be remiss if I don't ask James Hasty an NFL question as a former ESPN analyst. So, OK, all right. What we got? We got second half runs. You know, I'm wearing my Raiders polo. You saw the big win against the Broncos recently. Uh, do me a favor. Give me who is your team to watch in the NFC and the AFC for these second half runs for our audience? Well, it, it you know, I like teams in turmoil. Uh, so I, I like what the Raiders did last week. Uh, but I, I, I'm going to slide back and be a little bit of a homer, okay, <laughs> and, and say that I'm really watchful of my Chiefs, right, and and I'm hopeful that they can shore up some things on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I, I still ha- haven't quite given up there. I know we have some holes to fill. We got some guys out injured-wise, Chris Jones, uh, Ward, the corner. So I, I know we need to bring some guys on the field to get get some guys on the field to get healthy. So I'm still going to be a little bit, little bit biased and say I still think the Chiefs are a team that, that you have to contend with. On the NFC side, I mean, you, you have to still look at the Buccaneers. I mean, just the combination of the runs and the passes that we, we've seen now here in the last several weeks, not discounting anything that the Cardinals have done. Uh, but when you get into that tournament, it always comes down to the, ex- the experience and the play at the quarterback position. And you you cannot disregard uh, Tom Brady and his success that he's had under center and so for that reason, along with that coaching staff that I think is fantastic, uh, both both coaching staffs are fantastic. I'm particularly biased uh, to Bruce Arians. This is the fact that he's he's had so many his, his his coaching staff is the most diverse coaching staff in the league, and uh, and I'm extremely proud to see some of those guys who I know personally are having the success that they're having. Yeah, he's done a great job with that coaching staff. Listen, I'm with you on the Buccaneers. I will never, ever be with you on the Chiefs. For every Raider fan listening, you know that we, I will uh, not no, be on I'm biased, man. I'm, I'm looking for a 3-13 and 13 record. Actually, 3-14 and 14 now that there's 17 games. Um, before I let you both go, um, somebody may be listening to this and say, well, what's next for these guys? Like, what's next with Finn and Jay? What's next? Is there a college? You mentioned that you have been talking to a couple of athletic directors. You mentioned some of the talks in the league. I know the report mentioned some of the different meetings on, on different dates in 2021. So what's next for Finn and Jay, for the CPAS tool, for this to start to actually get some traction and be used tangibly by somebody either at the college level or the NFL level? Well, we're going to continue to do what we're doing, which is reaching out to the college on the college level to ADs uh, and administrators about what it is we're doing. We're not going to stop that. Uh, look, the, the Rooney rule has been great because we know at the league office, we see more diversity than ever before. I think the lap check study gave it an A minus in terms of the diversity and hiring at the league office. So we know that 
they've shored things up there. Okay, so let's not disparage the Rooney Rule to to the degree that they haven't got it done uh, on the sideline. Yes, but administrative wise, it's a dramatic change. Okay, and I wanted to make note of that. But going forward, our goal is to reach out on the to the college uh, to the NCAA. Our our goal is to reach out to different athletic commissioners. Uh, we have a meeting coming up here with Kevin Warren with the Big Ten, so we're we're hoping to move some moves the needle a little bit there, uh, and we're also hoping to get into the NBA and, and and MLB because again, this is not specific. This is proprietary, but it's not it's proprietary energy, but it's not just for football. It's for all sports, and so I want to make sure that folks understand that we can we can solve this thing, or at least we can all put our we've all can all put our heads together to work on this. It doesn't have to be a us against you or anything of that. So we want to just work with those folks that really think that they're sincere about trying to make a change. Well said. Go ahead, Dr. Kirsten. From a sociological standpoint, of course, there's going to be a 2022 study. And I, and I would just say that it's, it's going to be as wide as my sociological imagination that's going to include transparency and accountability. We're going to look at things like racial norming and what actually happened with that. We're going to look at concussion protocol. We're going to look at payouts. We're going to look at consequences of what happens to individuals behind the scenes to see um, what the NFL is doing appropriately and in some cases with levels of fairness. So uh, that study, uh, again, it's going to follow the lines of this first study, but at the same time, there is just an extension of how we can examine NFL for the betterment of the game, for its hiring practices and its understanding of the human nature of its players, its coaches, its executive, and its team owners. So it's going to be an extension of that and be on record and can be proven that these things did happen historically and are occurring today. So that's the that's the next evolution uh, of the next study. Is it coming for anybody? Is it a threat to anybody? It's just an accountability study. It should be noted also that the, the league has done a diversity and inclusion study for roughly, what, 10 years now, Steve? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, they have diversity and inclusion study uh, by Dr. Keith Harrison, whom, whom I know, uh, and, and that study has made some similar recommendations that was there and recommendations uh, that you read. And so we picked up on those recommendations to advance the ball and moving it forward. Jeremy Dewar, I'm giving you a shot for that. Move it forward uh, with respect to what we're doing. Next evolution has always got to be another move, but we will never move and make a recommendation without a solution, sir. We will never do that. Great to hear. Um, again, I'm in a solution-based business, so I truly appreciate that. Both of you, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast today. James Hasty, Dr. Stephen Curtin. Uh, in our audio podcast platform uh, show notes, you'll be able to see a link to some of the materials that we were referencing in this. Thank you to both of you for coming on the podcast today. I truly appreciate it. Continued success to both of you. All right, thank you. Thank you, Mike. All right. My most sincere thank you to Dr. Stephen Curtin over at UNC Greensboro and former Pro Bowl cornerback for the team that I grew up hating the most in my entire life, the Kansas City Chiefs, and to a lesser extent, the New York Jets, James Hasty, uh, both of them for joining the program today. Listen, as I mentioned this a few times, obviously, you know our work over here at theanalyst.com. We're big into data. We're big into making solutions, data-driven solutions. And the, the fact that these two guys are bringing those things together for the purposes of hiring practices to really solve a problem that's happening not only across the NFL, but college football. Like I mentioned, they said they're going to go to other uh, big leagues, NBA, Major League Baseball. This is a tool, the CPAS tool and, and the firm NJ. These guys are doing a great job uh, to really kind of bridge that gap and, and get people to understand it's about hiring the right person. 
I think that's the best part that I took away from the report. Uh, whatever audio podcast platform you listen to us, there's a link there to the report. Even if you're on the analyst.com, you should see it down at the bottom. Um, for the coming weeks, we're going to have some more great guests joining us to really talk about the marriage between sports stats and how they use it as part of their everyday profession. Whatever podcast platform you listen to us, please, please, please. I can't beg you enough, folks. Leave us a five-star review and comment. As always, I'm Mike Leon. We'll see everybody next time.